even the customers are really, really biased because customers, the reason why they stay as a customer is not the same reason why they buy. So what they might tell you is they tell you why they stay, but they, they, didn't, they don't tell you why they, why they bought in the first place. That's very dangerous. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO So I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Pedro Cortez. Pedro helps B2B SaaS companies add 100K in ARR by increasing their conversions with a few tweaks to their messaging and positioning. Pedro, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, George. I'm looking forward to, uh, to trying to make this episode as valuable as it can be. So throw the questions and I'm, I'm ready. That's great. I'm, I'm really excited about this episode because, uh, to be honest with you, you pop up to my uh, LinkedIn, feed, LinkedIn feed for the last few months now. And uh, I was always wondering, what does this guy do? And, uh, you know, he gets so much in engagement and, uh, and so on. So I really want to, to uncover all the interesting things that you have to, to, to share with us. But before we dive into um, some of these things, some of these very interesting things, I'd like, to share, I'd like you to share a few things about your background um, and how you got to where you are uh, at today. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll try to uh, make it as, as concise, uh, concise as possible because it's uh, a little bit of a weird story. So um, when I first started working, I actually started working as a, as a designer. Um, so what I would do is I would look at uh, you know, big applications and thought, okay, these guys are total idiots. They are just wasting a lot of money and so on. Um, especially because at the time there weren't many guidelines around how to design the apps and so on and so forth, right? So I was having a lot of fun kind of playing around with the layout and kind of figuring out how to make the users pay more or be more active or anything like that, right? And at the time, I didn't realize that the thing that I liked was making tweaks that made more money um, rather than the design itself. I thought that the thing I liked was the design itself, which later on, uh, spoiler alerts, I found out that that wasn't the case. Right, so um, I started doing that. I started publishing uh, those things just for fun and so on. I was uh, going to engineering. I did go to engineering. I didn't finish it because uh, I didn't like it at all. Uh, I uh, went to uh, electronic uh, engineering, things like circuits and programming and so on. Did, didn't like it at all. Um, and, and, and I was designing on the side already. I already did jobs. I already worked in the biggest agency in Portugal and so on. Uh, for like a few weeks because I kind of quit on that as well because you know another lesson is I didn't want to work for anyone else uh, even though the job was like perfect on paper and people were uh, amazing um, and then what happened over time is uh, I just wanted to get my my first few clients kind of drop out start to build the business from there and that was like 
five years ago or something. Um, and then what happened is I slowly built a list of clients. I was doing only like uh, design work and those type of things uh, until I realized that the thing that I liked the most was not the design of pages and apps and so on, but actually, you know, make them money. Uh, so what happened next is I just transitioned to consulting uh, because what was happening as well is that when I used to do all the pages for clients, uh, they were getting really good results because somehow I was kind of a natural in terms of uh, simplifying things and, and creating frameworks for the pages and so on. I was doing it pretty naturally. Um, but I realized clients were getting really good results at the beginning. And once I left, because I was doing like freelance work, uh, they would either stagnate or have the results go down because clients didn't understand why it worked in the first place. So I like totally stopped believing in that. I started doing consulting instead, kind of guiding them throughout the entire process, make all these changes. So they all, not only they get the expertise to make the tweaks right now, but they understand why it works so they can keep compounding the results and stacking different strategies on top of it. That's like the, where I really start to, started um, increasing. Obviously the, process has changed over time because that was like four years ago. So it's always uh, improving, but that's more or less the, the story, right? I kind of stopped designing it because it was a little bit of a commodity. And also because I'm more the engineer type, I like frameworks for everything and processes for everything. So now looking back, it just seemed like a stupid decision going to design or, or doing it. And that gets, that gets us to, to now, to um, today. Uh, how do you help clients today? What is that you do specifically to, to help them and to guide them through uh, the process of you know, growing uh, their conversions or you know, whatever metric they, they may be interested in? Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's fairly simple. So the way I get most clients is people just find me on LinkedIn and they DM me or they book a, a call on the website and so on. And we have a quick intro call to figure out if I can help them in the first place. Because I do have a sweet spot for companies where if they don't have like enough volume or their product is a bit of a commodity and so on, it's not ideal because if the product isn't like good enough or if, if the offer isn't there, the messaging is just going to be a band-aid, right? So it's, it's only a, for products that are really amazing. They're like game changers in the industry and so on. But the founders kind of struggle to communicate that in the first place. People only see that once they try it, when they jump on a demo, right? So that's more or less the ideal clients without diving the too deep, right? Then we have like a strategy call where we figure out what are the top three opportunities. Um, and then they decide if they want to become a client or not. That is important because the way we start working is we just take those opportunities we found on the call. We start working on that. I work with clients uh, very actively on helping them make every single tweak, kind of guiding them and their team throughout the entire process. And then once those tweaks are done, we just repeat the process and find the next low hanging fruits or they share with me the, the next thing that they want to uh, feedback on or they want uh, to, to work on and so on, right? And then we just keep stacking and stacking uh, um, better and better results. I like to focus on uh, wins that compound over time. So for example, instead of us expecting to double conversions on one page, we just try to compound the results over different levers that we have in the business, right? So we can either get people to convert more into leads they can get people to uh, turning to leading to customers more often, or we can, we can make them pay more. So between these three levers, that's what the things that we play with to figure out what is the next low hanging fruit that we can play with, what are the next quick wins, and how can we stack these small wins that are fairly easy to execute 
um, to add at least 100K ARR um, in a few months and with those few tweaks, right? So the clients gets the service uh, to pay for itself like several times over. We're really happy. We speed up the entire process. So on a higher level, that's how it works. We find the opportunities, we guide them through the entire process, and then we recent, like we just repeat because we just find the legs mowing your foot again. Right? I have a question here. You mentioned the word sweet spot, and I'd like to ask because really that troubles me. We, we are talking about messaging and positioning, and I'd like to hear your thoughts as to whether there is a, a really a sweet spot or a threshold, let's say, um, or a certain stage after which a company, SaaS company, should start caring about their messaging and positioning. What I mean by that is that will you check things like the traffic that you know the website receives or a certain landing page receives? Uh, will you search for things like whether or not the company has found the product market fit yet? How does that work? How, how does the devaluation process work for you and qualification, I guess, in order to say that you know what? Yeah, now it's the time to care about messaging and position, positioning. Or now it's not the time yet. Just you know, do the, those things first, and then come to me after you know uh, a certain time. Yeah. So I definitely have um, a sweet spot there. I make mine a little bit more specific, just because I want all the strategies that I play with clients to to uh, to, to work with the particular person that I'm talking to, and obviously to work long term because. If they're in the sweet spots, then we can work on this like endlessly because that work never ends. The opportunities keep showing up. And that's like the type of clients I want to work with. And I can be a little bit more specific. But usually when uh, companies need to start looking at um, uh, optimizing the messaging and, and so on is first to realize if the, the, their website is one good way of getting clients or not, right? Because there are niches where they just get customers through cold calls or direct email or uh, or cold emails and stuff like that, right? So even though it could help, um, I usually say that it kind of acts as a flyer. Um, and even though it could help, it's not really ideal, right? Because um, one uh, outbound is a little bit hard to make it compound over time because you're always doing it. And most likely it's going to be less effective over, over time because you're going to run out of the list at some point, especially if you're uh, specific to a niche, right? Um, and there are like other things around do people even search for a solution like this? Or are they, are they even aware that the solution exists? Um, so first of all is figuring out if people even use the website as a way to make a decision if they want to buy or not, right? So that's criteria number, number one. Then is to realize where is the problem in the business? Is do you need more leads every month? Do you need more calls or do we need more, uh, more trials and so on? And then what is the best way to do it? If you have 10,000 people a month and you get 100 trials, right? Then it's likely that you probably can squeeze uh, or double the amount of trials or get 50% more trials by optimizing the website in, in that sense, right? But if you have uh, 50 trials a month and 200 visitors, then your low-hanging fruit is obviously just go and get more traffic, right? Because if we, if we don't have volume, then we don't have any leverage, right? So it's like you trying to modify a car having lighter, lighter wheels, like more aero, uh, a lighter car and so on, but not having an engine, right? You need to have like a, an engine first. It's like a, a good metaphor because I'm, I'm a car guy. So that's the first thought, thing I thought. That's, that's a great metaphor, actually. I'd like to ask you something um, that's kind of connected to, to the, the question that I just made. 
I guess that when you work with a client, you work on pages that may have, you know, um, may have as the, their main traffic source paid uh, or um, organic. And I'd like to, to hear your thoughts and your experience, whether or not there are differences uh, between optimizing pages, for example, that have uh, SEO as their main, their main traffic source or paid as their main traffic source, and whether or not there are any challenges um, you know, for each category. And the only reason I'm asking is because I can only imagine that, let's say that there is a high traffic, source, uh, high traffic uh, page that gets a lot of traffic from uh, organic search. Uh, and, you know, a client brings you in to optimize that page, okay? Um, but at the same time, I can almost hear the objection coming from the SEO team, in-house SEO team or the SEO agency. You know what? Th this heading has to stay exactly as it is because uh, it helps us, you know, um, it, it, it has the target keyword inside it and so on and so forth. And I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, about, about that. Um, yeah, so um, there are a few differences. The formula for the pages is similar, but we make sl uh, slight changes. It's, and it all has to do with the expectation of the thing that happened before they got to that page, right? So there's two types of organic pages manually or the way they get to, their, to those pages, right? So one is uh, people might find an article first or hear about the product somewhere else or uh, any other way where they have no context about what it is. So maybe they're reading an article and you have really good content marketing and it's fairly related to the product and so on. And then people click through the homepage, for example, to understand uh, what is it that you sell, right? So in that case, you have to be a little bit more specific. You have to provide more context about what you do, why you're better and so on. Uh, obviously, any page has to do that, but you just need to provide a little bit more detail about what you do because people have literally zero context about what, what do you do, right? So it needs to be... Um, a little bit more broad, and you do have a little bit more freedom about what you do and the angle you use, uh, because people just don't have any expectation of what you do in the first place, right? So that's one type of or organic is just content marketing or random people finding you or hearing your name and kind of searching for it and so on. Then you have pages that rank um, that rank on Google for specific keywords. So let's say. Um, marketing tool for dentists, uh, dentists or something. And then you manage to rank on, um, on Google, like organically without ads, uh, for example, right? So there are still pages that rank depending on the niche uh, that are not as competitive. And if that's the case, and it's pretty much the exact same thing with Google ads, for example, is you have to match whatever the expectation they have, right? So if they search for an all-in-one tool for dentists, or if they search for a marketing uh, automation tool for WordPress, then you have to match that expectation, right? So the top has to say something that is d uh, related to that. Everything throughout the page around the problems that you, that you show with other tools and why you're better and how it works and so on has to be 100% related to the thing that they clicked on in the first place, right? So it's slightly different than other pages because it has to match that, that expectation pretty well. Uh, so that is the only slight difference. And um, we don't want to mess with SEO too much because uh, we don't want to increase conversions and reduce the traffic because that doesn't get us anywhere. But that's not usually that big of a problem, right? Because the, the biggest reasons why um, um, you know, those pages rank is because of a couple headlines here and there. We just figure out which ones there are. And we don't have to, to change them too much because if people are searching for those things, it's likely they already have the keywords that need to be there in a, uh, anyway, right? So 
if you have on your page like a landing page builder for chiropractors or whatever it might be, that is like that is can be a good headline if you um, compensate it with with uh, like a good subheadline and images to kind of make it really really clear. Because that's exactly what they search for, right? So you cannot get that wrong. You just have to uh, adapt to it, right? It's, it's like uh, working around a, a restriction. Yeah, matching those expectations, I think this is the, 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 the key here, um, what, you, what you just mentioned. I'd like to hear on a, your thoughts on, on a very practical level. When, when we're talking about messaging and positioning, what do we mean? Like what um, elements, let's say, this uh, includes for a landing page. It could be a landing page, for example, uh, and a client that you have worked with. Uh, what uh, tweaking their messaging and positioning could look like? Uh, yeah, so uh, first of all, the only reason why I say this is like messaging or quote-unquote messaging, whatever it is, is because this is the language that my niche uses. I don't care if it's correct or not. This is the language that they use, and as a good copywriter, that's the language I'm going to use even if it's not correct. Right, so that's why I'm using that. Obviously, if we were to think about uh, in other terms, this is, boils down to conversion optimization, let's say. Uh, but this is the term they use, and that's the term that I'm uh, that I'm always uh, gonna use. Um, so there are more things that involve messaging than just the landing page. So uh, by m messaging, I'd say, is everything that is related to what you're selling, right? is every single uh, mean that a potential customer has to understand about what you sell at any point in the buyer's journey. So it can be the first landing page they land on. It could be the sign-up page they, they land on because they need to understand. You're always selling them on the next, next step, right? So the landing page sells them on signing up for the trial. The sign-up page uh, sells them on finishing it, that, that tiny step, the onboarding process. Uh, tells them how to get, uh, sells them on the first steps so they can get some momentum. So it sells them on the actual product, right? And then you still have to keep selling them because otherwise they're going to churn, right? You're still selling them, otherwise uh, selling them every month because if they stop using it, they're going to churn. Um, so we never stop thinking about selling or even selling into the next plan. So everything is messaging. It could be the landing pages we send out, sign up pages, how we talk about the demo, right? How, how do we talk about them booking a demo? How is going to be valuable for them? The emails that they get uh, sent out, uh, how clear those need to be. Well, how do we talk about the next plan, right? So let's say you have a SaaS company. Most people buy the cheapest or the, uh, or the middle plan. How do we talk about the next plan to make it so valuable that people want to upgrade and pay you 20% more and then you make uh, 20 or 30% more in the business just because you may, made the next plan clearer, right? So all these things are related to messaging. Same thing with upsells and preventing them from canceling and all these tiny little things. It's all about how you um, present the next action that you want them to take and make that as irresistible as possible. That's, that sounds very interesting. Uh, and I guess that it's also a lot of work uh, to, to try to make sure that the experience in terms of messaging is you know, seamless uh, from email to landing page to um, even videos to whatever uh, may, may exist on the website and you know, uh, off the website as well. Now, you have worked with many, many SaaS companies, okay? And I would like to hear, based on your experience working with all these, these great companies, what are some of the common mistakes that you know, I have seen this so, so many times 
that SaaS companies, even big ones, uh, may still uh, do when it comes to their messaging and positioning? Um, yeah, so th there are so many mistakes that I could be here uh, like all day. Um, so one could be that they don't choose the uh, proper uh, ideal clients, uh, customer in the, in the first place. So they, they try to be, what I usually, uh, the way I usually explain this is they try to be 10% better than other tools out there, right? And 10% isn't good enough for me to say, I'm going to switch over. I'm going to change everything I do. I'm going to change my sales process if you're selling you know, like a tool related to sales, just to try out your tool that is 10% better. It doesn't work like that. Like it has, to, it has to seem way better. I need to be insanely clear around what is the result I'm going to take in terms of money or time. And I'm going to have to understand that making the switch is actually easier than I thought. Right? So those are the three pillars we need to have on, on every page and every offer, really. So um, that's, that's one of the problems, not defining that well in, in the first place. So then they end up with products that is only like slightly better. And uh, that, that's nothing that messaging can fix, right? That's something you have to work on uh, in the entire company, really, in the direction of the entire company. Um, then there's other mistakes that are a little less uh, serious, which are when someone looks at your page, you talk a lot about, uh, about what it does, but not how it affects the business. It's usually the feature versus benefit that gets talked uh, about a lot. But usually people don't dive too deep um, on these things, right? So to try to give you um, an example, especially tools that have like analytics or something similar. Um, uh, for example, I have a client that has like, uh, that helps you create reports from uh, Google Data Studio and so on to make that easy. He's not selling, he's not selling the um, reports, right? So he's selling them the, the insights, right? That's what they, they care about. So they care about what they can track, uh, what is it that they can learn, and then because lots of their customers are agencies and what agencies care about is how easy it is to create this reports. How can I make this automated? Because this is the thing that they, that keeps their clients is showing them every week or every month that they're getting results, right? So it's understanding what actually you're selling that it gives you the foundation to change everything in the business, right? Um, to try to give you another example, I had a client a couple of years back and it's a pretty good example where I used to say, add text messaging to your uh, abandoned cards uh, system, right, for e-commerce companies. So that wasn't where you're, what they're selling. What they're selling is that through text messaging, uh, people would uh, recover the cards, like uh, finish the card, like finish the purchase four times more often, right? So he was um, selling like a better recovery rate, not selling text messages. Right, so first you sell them on making more money, and then you tell them how that works. Right. But can I ask so something here? Less... To, to understand that, like to really grasp it, do you have to, for example, get on uh, interviews with customers to 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 actually see what they think about the end result? Like what I'm mostly interested in is not you know a, a card about card abandonment recovery solution or anything like that, but um, the fact that I generate more revenue or whatever the, the, the end result for them is, uh, or it's an assumption that you make that I, I feel that this is what it is, uh, or you, you know, compared to jumping on interviews with customers and so on, how that, how do you figure it out? Uh, I guess my question is. 
Yeah, so jumping on interviews with customers is something that would be ideal, uh, but it also takes a lot of time, which wouldn't make these uh, quick wins. And even the customers are really, really biased because customers, the reason why they stay as a customer is not the same reason why they buy. So what they might tell you is they tell you why they stay, but they, they, didn't, don't, they don't tell you why they, the, why they bought in the first place. That's very dangerous. Um, so what I do instead is I do a couple of things. Obviously, all the things that we do is about assuming and testing, right? So first we assume, so we decide really fast, and then we test, so we have the results. Most of the time we assume, right? Because I've been doing this for a long time. And I, like agencies always have the same objections around white label uh, reports, uh, around how this is, works with the tools they have. Developers are the biggest pain in the ass to sell to. They always care about uh, documentation. They always care about uh, how long it's going to take to work. They always get, take uh, uh, about reliability. And you cannot make too many promises because they are skeptical as hell. Right? Uh, and you already like, start finding these patterns over time, so it makes it way easier. Right? Uh, but with that in mind, the, the things that we want to look at is, one, trying to figure out what is the problem behind the problem that they want to solve. So not selling them on surface-level problems, serving them on the underlying thing. And I'll give you an example in a second. And also, uh, looking at a, a, a good way of doing this is looking at bad reviews from other customers, uh, from your competitors, right? So you look at it and say, what are people complaining about, right? So whatever, if you, you struggle to understand what is your USP, then you figure out what are the problems, with the, and I do this with clients right out of the beginning. Instead of us figuring out what is your USP, you use like a mental model to figure out what are the problems with other tools. Then we turn it into benefits. And I was working with a client that uh, I'm working with a client that um, has a program to track where the expenses of ships. So um, when you rent a, sh a ship, uh, the the expenses always match between the owner and the the lender, right? Uh, so you don't lose money because if you cannot prove them, you can lose forty or fifty thousand uh, dollars because you cannot prove that that was an expense that the other guy made you pay for. Uh, that type of thing. So that's the thing that we're selling. By the way, we're not selling the software; we're selling them, not risking that part. Um, and what, what would happen is uh, the client didn't fully understand what they were selling and what, what was different. And then we just list out what are the problems with other tools, right? Is they have massive service fees to get started. In their case, they can just get started right away and they'll do the onboarding for them. Other tools are very uh, um, uh, like old school and uh, they're really related to spreadsheets and they're very hard to train their uh, uh, new members. So what we say instead is this is something that you can get trained on in an hour. Kind of runs in the background, just tracks all the expenses. And at the end of the journey, you just check all the expenses, make sure anything is missing. And then get, uh, get another uh, report automatically. Right? And then we list out all the problems, we repeat the process, and you get insanely clear USPs to where the client is like, my, uh, they get instant clarity around what they sell, what are the USPs, why it's better. And they even get like, a, a better belief in what they're selling in the first place. It's all very interesting. I'd like to ask you something here. Uh, you mentioned earlier like having something that's better, a better product, for example. My question is, because I hear a discussion that, you know, SaaS is moving toward commoditization. It has already, I, I would argue. Um, and the fact that having a better product isn't enough. Uh, because let's face it, let's say that you roll out something that's uh, a new feature, for example, that's substantially um, better than what's already out there. 
chances are that your competitors, especially if they have deep pockets, um, they will be able to replicate that and you know, uh, build that feature themselves um, in, a, in a few months' time. Okay? And I'd like to hear your thoughts here. Like, can SaaS companies and should SaaS companies nowadays play this game of, you know, we are better, but on a product level and not, yes, we are better on a product level, but here's how we are different as a brand, for example. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts with regards to that. Uh, yeah, so SaaS is definitely going to be more, uh, com- uh, like more of a commodity. Uh, it's going to be insanely more competitive. And I'm already seeing it how much more competitive it was compared to a few years ago. And in my case, I'm like totally not worried about it because it just means that we have to get better at uh, communicating like the differences and, and so on, right? And the best companies will will uh, prevail. So besides the 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 besides the problem of doing something that kind of looks like all these other products, because if at a core you're very similar to other problems, the other products, then it's kind of hard to compete. But if you are like what I like to call like a game changer, right? So if you're like a game changer for, for uh, compared to other, other tools, for example, that's where you're in a, in a really good sweet spot, right? Because when it comes to these things, when it comes to someone buying a software, it's all about perceived value, right? So it's not about what you actually do, it's how people perceive it. Because even big companies, even if they have a better product and people think uh, like it's not better, it's confusing or whatever it is, or even if it's the other way around, just because they have like more brand awareness, they'll buy the perceived value. What they think is going to help them, right? What gets people to stay is the actual value, right? So people try to sell the actual value um, or, or think that's the, the thing that got them to buy. No, it's like what they think uh, your product can do for them. That, that, is, uh, that is the thing that gets them to buy, right? So that is the thing we need to focus on is perceived value. Right. Obviously, we have to deliver on that value; otherwise, it'll, it'll cancel. Right. So that's the the thing we we need to uh, focus on here. Um, and the way we kind of stand out from those from those competitors is that we want to make sure that we go from seeming ten percent better to seeming like a complete game changer. And it goes back to the three how we answer the three pillars that I talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Right. So how do we answer how much more money you can make? By using the product, um, how much better it is from uh, other tools, and by better I mean if you look at how they use it every day, how every single step is going to be easier. Right. So, for example, I have a client that helps you collect uh, data from customers, uh, and is mainly like for insurance companies and so on. So, we'll, the way we show how the product works is we show how they collect documents and how every single stage is going to be. 10 times easier, right? So when it comes to send, asking for documents, you just create a form. And instead of you creating a form, you have tons of pre-built templates where you don't even have to create one. Then you can customize it as much as you want. Then you can send to all your customers in bulk um, and, and all these things, right? So they're comparing this to how they're doing it normally. So they're starting with a form every single time. They're... Um, I have to send out 10 emails. I need to get like 10 different emails just to get the documents. They have to do reminders manually. So what we're doing is we're showing that all these different things that they're doing, the way that works with your product is like 10 times better on every single step, right? So that's what we're doing there. Um, And that's pillar number two, which making it seem that it's better in every single way. 
And then finally, how easy it is to get started, right? Because if we tell them, hey, this is amazing, it's going to make you a ton of money, it's way better than what you're using now. But if we don't tell them, uh, here's how you can get started now, uh, or as soon as possible, or at least we mitigate uh, like how overwhelmed they feel about switching over, they're just going to say, this is amazing, but talk to me in six months because I don't have, to have, to time have the time to do this. And those six months will, will never come, by the way. Um, so you have to balance those two pillars, essentially. That's all very eye-opening. I guess that the last question that I have for you, Pedro, uh, before we start wrapping things up, is you work with a lot of companies and you have a substantial experience working with SaaS companies, B2B SaaS companies. And my question is, do you see any obstacles in the process of optimizing for messaging and uh, positioning um, that are kind of like a pattern? And what I'm thinking here is that, for example, I have a very specific opinion of how things should be and what's the problem, but senior management is pushing back because they feel that, you know what, we have built this product, we know our customers better than anyone else, we don't believe that this is the direction we should, we should take. Um, are there any obstacles? And the only reason I'm, I'm asking this question is because I'd like people who listen to this episode uh, to understand that not you know, uh, having these obstacles may make the whole process smoother and at the end of the day may make them uh, you know, have better results. Um, yeah, so um, w when it comes to, to these things, there's like lots and lots of patterns, right? So uh, that's why I boil, boil down these things to pillars and so on, because everything has a pattern. It's, it boils down to all the questions that uh, people might have before like, they decide to buy or not is that it boils down to those things, like how much money can I make? Why is this better than what I'm using now or other tools that I'm considering? And how easy it is to get started and also comparing that to the price and see if it's worth it uh, or not and, and so on, right? So it boils down to, to all of these things. Um, when companies think that they like know their customers and so on, this actually, this is the exact opposite. So people come to me all the time saying, Pedro, I've been working on the same thing for such a long time, and even though I know the markets, um, I don't even know, uh, at this point, I don't even know what to put on the page, what they want, what they don't want, which features to talk about first or not. Because um, even though they have all the insights about the markets, and I'm the one kind of helping them figure out what those are, I'm the one extracting, so I'm acting like a therapist when it kind of asks you the questions to figure out what is the problem. So you know what the problem is, but it's like very deep, uh, in your subconscious, that's what happens over time with very experienced SaaS founders. And that's the ones that I work with. In terms of senior management not approving, uh, I don't work with those type of clients because I don't want bureaucracy to get in the way of getting results. And that just slows the entire thing down. And I don't work with, with people like that, that they're not willing to, to make those tests. In terms of the patterns, there are a million patterns. Obviously, there are some of these things that even become kind of boring because they're so predictable. That's why the results are pretty e easy to get uh, anyway. Um, because it boils down to the thing I was telling you earlier around agencies always have the same objections, same thing for developers and so on. And then we just add uh, objections that are common to the person, you're, the target you're selling, and then objections that are specific to the product you're selling, right? Uh, and then if you can buy the two, and if you've seen hundreds of companies, you kind of already know how to blow the two, and then you tell that to the clients and then we work on it. And it's very, very predictable from there. I think that uh, the word therapist that you used 
It resonates with me because in many cases, both me and my team, we feel like therapists for our clients. But I guess maybe that's part of the role nowadays. Pedro, um, where can people find more about you and uh, get in touch? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can just search for my name uh, on, on LinkedIn. You can, happy to, um, happy to, you're free to DM me with any questions you might have about the episode. Happy to help. Uh, I also share like tons of uh, resources in there. So tip, tips like this, kind of drawing it out, providing examples and so on, where we have like more freedom and it's like recorded and so on. Um, so it's kind of easier to explain. Um, examples, results, and so on. So you get to understand what works and what doesn't. Is very. Um, it doesn't seem like it's it's like the norm, or it's like it's not really the expectations that people have about conversion optimization. That's why I do that because people have like lots of false beliefs about how things should work. In reality, that's really not the case. And then once you do understand, it just totally makes sense, and it really clicks in your business. So you can, if you follow one of, if you want to follow those tips, that's where I share them most of the time. And if you want to get in contact directly, just go to cortez.design.apply. Uh, you can book a free intro call. Um, I'm happy to book a, book a quick intro call with you, like 15 minutes, super casual, kind of get to understand um, what your business is, what you're selling, and kind of figure out if I can help you in the first place, right? Because even if I can help you, sometimes the timing might not be right. So we want to figure out those couple of things, um, make it super casual, and then we take it from there. Uh, if we are a good fit, we'll book a strategy call and and take it from there and see if we become a client. And if not, I'll just tell you, hey, right away, this is not something I think I can help you with. Here's what I would do if it was in your case. And maybe recommend a couple of people that can help you at that particular stage. Right? So it's pretty risk-free from there. I think that's a great to wrap things up. Pedro, thank you very much for being on the show. Perfect. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. And hopefully this uh, was a useful episode for your audience. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.